Welcome to our Voice Originals podcast. So this is our first episode, which is pretty exciting. And what we're going to do is take a peek behind the scenes of what goes into making all of our different voice-connected games. And this week, we're looking at When in Rome. Um, so if you haven't heard of When in Rome before, When in Rome is a travel trivia board game that works with your smart speaker, where you're racing against other teams to get around the world and use your world smarts to get points. So enough about the game. This is about the people behind the game. So we should probably get some intros to the two people that are going to be chatting for the most part of it. So Shane and Deborah, would you like to give a little bit of intro about yourselves, what you do, and a little bit about what you've been doing in When in Rome? Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Shane and I are the dialogue directors of When in Rome. So what we do is we cast the locals. We cast all of the voices that you hear in the game. Uh, we wrote a lot of the trivia questions that you hear in the game. And we also directed the recording sessions for the people who speak in the game, basically. Uh, and both Shane and I come from a more contemporary performance background. We're really used to devising with people in that kind of a setting. Uh, this was the first time that I worked on a board game, which was exciting. But I'd done lots of different kind of community-led pieces before. Yeah, sure. This is the first time I've ever worked in board games or the idea of gaming. Um, Lots of my work has been participatory, so it's been encouraging other people's stories. So it's been nice taking that skill and applying it to this process. Cool. That's great. Thank you guys for kicking that off for us. I guess I'll also add really quickly just like this other random voice that's interjecting things. My name is Anna. Um, I'm the community manager for Sensible Object, the team behind Voice Originals. But yeah, back to... The questions. So in terms of all of the dialogue directing that you guys had on your plate, there was quite a lot of stuff going on. So just to pick one place to start, in terms of finding the locals that you were going to direct, what do you feel makes a good local? And what was it like in terms of a process of finding locals for the game? I think that one of the main things we were going for was that we didn't necessarily want professional voice actors. Some of the people who we're working with just happened to be coincidentally professional voice actors. But if that was the case, we found out afterwards. So, for example, the person who we cast for Moscow, who usually works in education as an educational consultant, we only found once we were actually well into the process, used to be a professional voice actor in Moscow. So he does have professional voice acting experience. But for the most part, we just wanted people who knew their cities really well, who loved their cities, were passionate about their cities, and who had a kind of warm friendly vibe, I guess, uh, that you could hear in their voices, like the kind of people who you would want to stay in touch with afterwards if you were traveling. This morning, I went into Greg's, which is a baker's just around the corner from here, and I watched the manager from Greg's pull in uh, eight people for a, a job interview. And I was thinking about how the kind of culture of every company or every organization or every team is kind of dictated by the kind of personalities involved in the team. So when when I came in to meet, uh, to, to actually audition for this job, as it were, I met the When in Rome team and I was surrounded by this really young, dynamic, fun, friendly, intimate um, uh, kind of atmosphere. And I think that's exactly what we were looking for, for me, in, in casting, were, were the same kind of people. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I've been listening to the dialogue you guys have been recording and everyone just sounds like the kind of person that you could easily chat to and it's like super friendly, which, yeah, I guess that's what you'd want if you're traveling around the world. That's the kind of people you'd ideally want to meet. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, were there any challenges while you guys were recording that um, you found, like, that you weren't expecting, maybe, in terms of approaching dialogue directing? I think one thing that's interesting, I'm aware of as we're doing the podcast, is that some people uh, will be very, very comfortable when they come into the room and very much themselves. And then as soon as they know they're being recorded, like as soon as the microphone's in front of them, they just become a different human being uh, because they become really self-conscious, I suppose. And they're overthinking the fact that whatever they're saying is being recorded. So that's really been something, I think, as a dialogue director where I feel like part of our job is just making people comfortable throughout the session, making them forget about the microphone and making like the real them come out as much as possible on the recordings. Is there anything that you found like surprisingly rewarding or like any like really great moments that you had in any recording sessions that made you think like, wow, this is something I wasn't expecting, but it's been really great. There, there were loads, actually. I, I was kind of reflecting on the fact that in the process, it was hard to design because I would have liked more room for uh, the improvisation of the moment and the intimacy of the of the moment to come up. But in the design of the process, because the di design had to serve the actual game, it was difficult to do that. It was almost as though this, the script became what was important uh, rather than the intimacy of the moment and the improvisation that might come up in, in, in conversation. So I think that the in answer to your question, the good moments were when we captured something that was a little bit off script, that was that where where personality could really bubble through, as opposed to a, a non-professional reading a script. Yeah, I I've been doing a lot of the audio reviews, and so I've been reviewing some of Shane's sessions along with my own sessions. And there's one moment I really really loved, which was for the Auckland local Josh where Shane somehow, I don't know how you guys decide to do this, jo uh, Josh starts singing, I believe that robots are the future, <laughs> to the tune of a Whitney Houston song. And it's really, it's very, very funny. And it also sort of feels like you guys were clearly just having a nice time in the session. And, you know, you could just push it a little bit further in terms of how silly he was willing to get, which is lovely. I really like it. The more we've moved on with the sessions and the more comfortable uh, that we've been with each other, say, for example, that Dan's been here as well, uh, we've really kind of been able to effectively relax. And the more relaxed we are, the more intimate an environment has been created, which suits the material that we're making. Okay, I definitely want to hear like that, like Josh's Auckland, like the singing piece, because I haven't heard that yet. That sounds incredible. Um, it's, quite, it's quite fun asking people who are uh, not used to using a microphone to sing so for example um how's your singing voice oh man it's uh it's very questionable um the tone is normally not quite what the song should be um yeah. but i can i can give it a shot you know all right yeah. should we go for i believe that robots are the future we can go all three of us together if you like oh, i don't actually know i'm not sure i know is you know the whitney used to sing the greatest love of all I believe the children uh, of the future. See, I recognize it when you sing it, but I'm not sure I know <laughs> oh, it. This is all very convenient, it. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what can I say? You know, if I don't know the song, I guess I couldn't sing. Uh, yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I think like we'll be saving everybody listening to the podcast from hearing my <laughs> attempt to sing right now, especially Ooh. with my croaky voice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you guys want to go, like, I'm happy to to listen if you want to give 
I believe robots are the future a, a shot. Oh my god. <laughs> we need Alexa to say, I believe that robots are the future. That doesn't sound like Alexa. I believe that robots are the future. Yeah. Hello, oh. Shane. My name is Alexa. That's weirdly <laughs> computer-like and weirdly hot. <laughs> it's like a it's like a female version of Hal. <laughs> Hal, yeah. You know, Hal's kind of attractive in a weird way, sort of. <laughs> because he's like really, um, what is that word? He like denies you everything. He's really withholding. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. One of the interesting things about that is, and this game, is the fact that things can't be seen. We're living in an age where everything is so visual. And and, and here's a really interesting experience where personalities are breathing. Like the personalities that the people were here in the game, the locals, they can't be seen. So in effect, you're creating a picture of them as, as you listen to them, mm. which for me is fascinating. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I often wonder the extent to which you can tell a person's age or I don't know personality or the like when I look at the locals and then I hear them I do wonder like how much of the way they look is going to come across in their voices uh but I think what does come across is sort of how warm and personable they all are I mean I was going to say that was for me the sort of it shouldn't have been unexpected and yet it kind of was because we had so many recording sessions back to back Mm -hmm. and you're really just thinking about them in terms of your schedule what I think started to dawn on me more gradually, and I suppose I knew it, but I didn't like know it, was just how diverse the group of people we were working with were in terms of where they were from and where they'd grown up and what their experiences had been. And that's like being able to spend, you know, two weeks with like one day with someone who grew up in Australia, the next day with someone who grew up in Hong Kong, the next day with someone who grew up you know, in uh, in Lima has been such a pleasure, like really. And it's a thing that we kind of experience all the time living in London anyway, because it's a really international city, but it just has been so clear through working through this project. Um, and it's something kind of snuck up on me in a really lovely way. I just like to be around people from all over the world. It's a really rich experience. It was really interesting, the contrast between working in a London studio and working with the international studios. Initially, I was kind of freaked out by the, the, the discombobulation and the removal of of working across Skype internationally. But the more it went on and the more I kind of sank into the process, the more fun it was because you were actually zooming into another place in the world and kind of capturing this very global conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That definitely, I definitely had that experience when I was Skyping with the guys in Cairo. First of all, because Cairo has a little bit of a dodgy internet connection, but luckily we were okay most of the time. Um, But secondly, because one of the directions that the first um, sound engineer gave to Muhammad when we were in Cairo was that it would probably help Muhammad a lot if he spoke with his hands more while he was recording. And so I could see them on Skype and I could just see Muhammad getting really, really expressive with his hands. And suddenly I was like, it just really kind of brought home to me like, oh, this is like a really, you know, in Cairo, people speak with their hands all the time. And that's a really big part of the way that people speak. And it was just like such a lovely moment of being like, oh, God, I wish I could just go to Cairo and hang out with these guys because it seems it seems great. That's so cool. That's what it felt like in Mumbai, actually. It felt like I was hanging out in a, in the recording studio in Mumbai. People were kind of coming in and out with cups of tea. And I was, I was there. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was going to ask, like, 
Did it feel different or more difficult when you were doing an in-person recording versus directing over Skype or something like that? But it seems like maybe it was sort of like different, but in a good way to to do like over Skype sessions as well? I mean, we have like a, a minority of the, the sessions we're doing are over Skype. And I think that that is probably for the best because they take longer and they're just a little bit more complicated uh, for lots of practical logistical reasons that aren't interesting to talk about on a podcast. But they are exciting. Like it is really exciting to feel like you're beaming in, at least in my case, to New York and Cairo. That's really, really exciting. It was very it was very much about the engineer. Uh, uh, and I guess if the job is to create intimacy, then face to face, as we all know, it's much, much easier to do. Uh, you know, it's much easier to create that atmosphere when you're making eye contact and you're kind of almost breathing the same air. So with the international ones, it it, it was almost down to the engineer. If they were a person that could encourage that form of intimacy, then that's what happened. Uh, in a way that that's how it was yeah. for me yeah I think in a way that the engineer ends up being like the other dialogue director really in that situation because they're the person who's in the room with the performer so they do things like give a direction like why don't you speak with your hands that'll make you sound more natural which was such a good direction and not something that I would have ever thought to say because I don't know him uh Speaking with one's hands isn't necessarily something that we feel is super important to do in yeah, Western culture. Yeah, especially, I guess, like, if you're thinking about the voice part so much, then you totally forget, like, actually other signals that you might be using. Even if you can't see them, they just naturally feed in to your voice as well. But, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that before either. But now that I think about it, yeah, like, hand gestures can be a huge part, like, body language in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that we, with a couple of locals, like if if somebody's smiling while they're reading a question, you can hear it. Like you can hear a smile in someone's voice. So every now and again, if somebody was, you know, if it's a really, really long session and people are getting tired, we might say like, could you try smiling while you read the next question? And you can hear it in the recording, but also it does up their energy a little yeah. bit. It kind of ups everyone's energy. I'll have to, I don't know when I would ever use this information. I have no idea when I would ever <laughs> record stuff, but I feel like I want to remember this to use in the future <laughs> at some point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, did you guys find that you're previous experiences in I mean I know you both said you haven't worked on board games but you've definitely worked in directing other creative communal not communal community sort of projects like have you found that that was useful in working on when in Rome as well yeah absolutely I think certainly in terms of the casting that was really useful because uh Shane and I both had pretty extensive networks um where people we knew could kind of contact other people we knew. And I think because of that, we've ended up with a really, really cool group of people. Uh, we have a lot of artists, actually, in the group, uh, a lot of people who make some kind of creative work. And I think that that's really just because of the network that we were able to reach out to in terms of the locals. Um, I would say probably also just the devising sessions, because basically what would happen for the game is we would uh, write the questions collectively. A group of about five or six people uh, wrote the questions, as you know, because you were one of the people, Anna. <laughs> and uh, and then after the questions were written, we would have a 90-minute Skype session with each of the locals to just go through all of the questions and devise some things and uh, make the questions feel a bit more personal to them. And I think that that was very much, for me, like a place where I really felt that I was using the skill set that I have through making participatory work and more 
devise contemporary performance work. I don't know if you would agree, Shane. I was thinking about something completely different whilst listening to you. Really? What were you thinking about? (laughs) About how robots are the future? (laughs) I I guess I I was thinking about um, uh, uh, Alex Fleetwood's vision in terms of creating. I remember when we created an engine, like a little bit like a a kind of an international WhatsApp group for everybody to participate in. And he shared uh, um, with all of us an earlier seed for his project. And this kind of idea of creating an, an iterative process that a global community could engage in. So for me, this was almost like the first stage I think in what may come later for further voice originals games of creating um, a a, a kind of a a globally devised family or a globally devised stage so I feel almost that this is like a, a first step in the process of the voice originals team figuring out how to actually create this material that represents a, 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 a very a, a kind of devising group, a, a kind of family, a team, a, a, a kind of ensemble from different parts of the, uh, of the world in different locations. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it was also... Uh, I think it was also just a situation of like being based in London was a really, really important thing for this game because we could kind of capitalize on the fact that this is a really international city and people come from all over the place. I mean, uh, my accent is uh, <laughs> is paid to that because I'm I'm not from London. Originally, I'm from Canada. So, yeah, I think that that being based here was a, a really, really useful thing. But it is cool to think that we're devising with this kind of global community uh, and I think the people we've brought on board are the right people uh, to be part of that global community it's not like we're devising with a group of bankers because <laughs> that's a global community too the markets are also a global community that would have been fun um, <laughs> that's the next voice originals game yeah. <laughs> I guess I don't know how honest we want to be in this podcast you can always chop this bit out if not but but in, in a way um, you know this the logistics of the project <laughs> meant that it was easier to find people from all over the globe here in London, as opposed, you know, the, the dream would have been to have, uh, you know, 40 sessions all over the world, but the logistics of that would have been an absolute nightmare. So we found most of our people here, which in some ways brilliant because it, repre- you know, it kind of represents what an amazing city London is. Uh, um, but also it feels like a bit of a cop out in a way. I don't know. I mean, I think if we'd had a Toronto, if Toronto had been one of the cities, I feel like I would have been really, really proud and happy to represent as the local from Toronto. Because I actually think that if you're a person who grew up elsewhere and now you live here and you moved here as an adult, uh, although sometimes it means not all of your references will be as contemporary as you'd like, unless you're visiting quite often, which most people do. I think that actually the nostalgia of living away makes you feel like more of a local for the city that you've left, at least in my case. Like, I feel really a lot of pride and a lot of love for Toronto, even though I don't live there anymore. Um, yeah, I can't explain it, but I think it's when you when you live away from somewhere, sometimes that's when you really understand the extent to which it's a kind of home that for is, you. For me, on a slight tangent, that is such a, uh, a note, which I find interesting, just in terms of how 
being a child of the diaspora, uh, my, my parents were born in Kenya, my grandparents in India, how much children in the diaspora, the diasporic community often kind of almost refuses to let go of things become frozen about about their, their, their homelands, their traditions, their stories become a little bit frozen, which, which is a, a fascinating thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my mom was a Hungarian refugee in the 1950s. So I also have this, I mean, my dad's British, but I feel like no connection to the UK, even though I live here, whereas the Hungarian side of things... Maybe it's because they were forced to leave. I don't really know, but there, but yeah, there is an element that that Hungarian thing feels pretty strong somehow in our family. Yeah, I mean, like, even like, I guess it's interesting for me listening to like everything you guys have said, just understanding where people feel like they're from versus where you might officially be like in your passport marked as from and where you've grown up and where you now live. Like all of those things are like, really sort of mixed in this sort of strange like personal heritage soup and like it can be really hard to to know where you're from like at least for me personally um like now we're just going on like a little like biography where where are you from where am I from um so I was born in London but then my mom is from Singapore and I I moved there when I was young um my dad is from Greece so the majority of my family on his side is still in Greece so yeah like I was gonna say Deborah like the the feeling of feeling more connected to a place almost when you're away from there. I definitely get that with Singapore as well. Um, Like from my accent, if you hear it, it doesn't sound Singaporean. But funnily, the more I'm away from it, the more it feels like home, which sounds really counterintuitive. But in that sense, I guess, is there a conclusion to this story? Like Maybe not like a very concrete one, but it feels like maybe where people are from and like their pride for what they would call their home is like not always like as straightforward as you might assume and definitely I think like there were limitations in making one in Rome in terms of like yeah like it's so much easier when everyone's in London with like a tiny team like to have everyone be here but I guess in that sense maybe it's also uncovered some nice things like just by coincidence in terms of oh like so this is what it means to feel like you're from a place, even if you're not necessarily there right now. I was thinking about the the cities and and where where those people were from. Um, you know, I think when we were initially casting, we were so. Uh, I, I think there was this kind of you know we definitely wanted people who perhaps were born there, and we went through a really interesting uh, process, didn't we, with regards to. Uh, Okay, what happens if our Japanese person is is has, has kind of is has a, is is Japanese but Caucasian? Um, so and that was yeah, interesting. We did have that because we had a few people like we had an American guy who auditioned, who had lived in Berlin for a long time, um, but he had a hundred percent an American accent, and he was interesting. And I could see how he considered himself a Berlin local, but we didn't cast him uh, because. We cast your housemate instead, who's also from Berlin, which I think is great. He's, he's so Berlin. My housemate is so Berlin. <laughs> um, but yeah, that did kind of that did come up a couple of times around um, whether or not. Yeah, we also looked at someone from uh, who was Lebanese, who was living in Berlin now, who, who we also almost cast. So there was this question of like, what is what is a local? Uh, but I think. The people we cast all felt like the right people to cast, to be honest. And it, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
But there was there was accent as well, wasn't there? It was so fascinating considering. So, so for example, absolutely hands down, you know, even though it's very bad to have favourites, my favourite to work with was Cape Town because he's so gorgeous and his accent is so thick. And initially when we recorded him, we were like, well, are people going to kind of understand what he's saying? Whereas some of the, for example, for example, we recorded uh, May in Bangkok yesterday, who's effectively got an American accent uh, and will make it probably quite easy for people in the game, particularly uh, North Americans to play. Uh, and when she speaks Thai, it's with the most gorgeous Thai accent. So that was, that was fascinating thinking about almost, uh, we, di we did something so bad in the process, which was almost, could you say it a little bit? Bit more for the Western ear. Could you could you yeah. could you change uh, the way that you said that away from how it should be said yeah. and say it in a way that other people in the world will be able to understand yeah, you? Yeah, we had to do that a lot, which feels kind of a little bit. I know, kind of almost colonial, you know, counterintuitive in a way. Yeah, but people do need to be able to play the game and understand what's going on in the game. I mean, I yeah, I've always felt kind of really torn. There's like one part of me that's like, no, everybody should just be saying things exactly the way that they need to be said. But at the same time, we also just need the players to understand the questions. I don't know. Hard, hard to know. So I think when you listen back to Josh from Auckland, who you loved, but you know he 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 loved speaking uh, Ma Maori words or Maori uh, or he said it like Mori. Mo yeah, and and for you, you couldn't understand that. It just sounded like when I heard it the first time I heard him say Maori, it sounded like he'd said Moldy, <laughs> and I was like, oh no. And then and then as he kept going, I was like, oh no, I understand he's saying Maori, and he must be saying it the way that it's supposed to be said. But of course, in the game, you only hear. Uh, you only hear from a local once or twice because of the game design. So you don't have that time for your ear to adjust to the way things should be said. So I don't know how what you guys have decided to do with that Maori thing, but... Uh, we, we kept it. All right, great. Well, people just have to get on board. Uh, he, we put in a couple of questions about the fact that sometimes he'd heard, heard people call it Maori. Maori. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess like game design plus authenticity, plus dialogue directing all together equals like, yeah, like, I guess, compromise in some areas, like for sure. Wow. That, that, for me, that's a really interesting point, particularly given the speed and turnover of this project. I'm not used to working on commercial projects in this way. The speed and turnover was insane. So marrying particularly game design to, to the job that we were doing it was all happening so quickly. It was all, almost as though we, decisions were happening so quickly that post, you could say, okay, we could have done it like that. But there was a lot of kind of, I guess, hit, hit in the ground with our feet running. Yeah, no, definitely. Like this has been um, a whirlwind of a project for sure. But I think, um, yeah, like it's going to be like really exciting to see you know, all of the work that you guys have done come together. Like we were already playtesting. I know you guys have been at some of the playtests as well and hearing all of the, the dialogue snippets actually popping through in the game now. And it's just transformed what would be just basically a trivia game into something that really makes you feel like you're engaging with other parts of the world and learning really interesting, con like connective things about other cities from, from people that care about them. So yeah, um, thank you guys for all of the work you've done on behalf of like the Sensible Object team. It's been a mammoth task, but you guys have 
done amazing. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you, Anna. And I think that also it's a thing where, you know, you and Andrew, who both work usually in marketing, have also helped write the game, uh, which I don't know if you knew you were going to be doing going in. So, I, I mean, mean it wasn't yeah. both ways. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like initially like this is confirmed but it was it was something that we thought like this would be cool if it came up and and it did so um that was really that's been really fun for us as well um but yeah uh thank you guys for joining me for this uh podcast ranging from robots in the future to finding the best locals um if you are interested, listeners, I'm talking to you guys, if you're interested in finding out more about When in Rome or any of our Voice Originals products, um, just head over to voiceoriginals.com and you'll find everything you want to know there. Um, Shane and Deborah, is there anything that you guys want to add at the end? This has been such a blast. This has been one of my favorite gigs ever. So thanks to y'all. Yeah, yeah, thank you to you guys. Awesome, cool. Well, thank you guys for listening in and take care. Voice Originals. <laughs>